2: just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
0: Hey, everyone. I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create & Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rulebook and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real tech advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman. Entrepreneurship is on the rise right now with applications for new U.S. businesses growing at the fastest rate since 2007. But as today's guest can attest, it's one thing to launch a business, but growing and scaling that business is another thing entirely. Elevating a business to the next level requires access to resources, capital, and mentorship. But as we all know, not all entrepreneurs are given equal opportunities to succeed in taking their businesses from early stage startups to successful companies. Case in point, black women were among the fastest growing entrepreneurs before COVID hit. But by the numbers, black women who represent 42% of new women-owned businesses, three times their share of the female population, only receive 0.06% of venture capital funding. However, a silver lining of COVID-19 and a result of the BLM movement is that large companies are launching programs to support black-owned businesses, expanding access to resources, capital, mentorship, and everything these entrepreneurs need to scale their business successfully. So today, I'm so excited to be joined by two entrepreneurs who can share firsthand what it takes to overcome these obstacles, raise capital, grow a team, and even land your product on the shelves of a major retailer. So without further ado, welcome to Work Party, Ashley and Jamika. Thank you
1: for having us. Excited to be here. Of course. Thank you so much.
0: Awesome. Well, Ashley, let's start with you. Tell us what Trade Street Jam Company is first and foremost.
2: We are a low sugar vegan jam company we make jams but we are not smokers it's very different uh, and everything we do is all about edging educating our consumers on how to use our jams in cocktails cooking baking all of these really fun applications and the biggest thing is just that we have a really clean label um a lot of these jams have 15 17 grams of sugar ours are about 3 to 5 so really introducing the world to a concept bigger than sugary jam on toast.
0: Yeah. So disrupting a major industry there, which is amazing. So what advice do you have for new founders and small business owners on how to create a unique brand that stands out from the competition? And and how do you create a brand that also lasts in the long term? (laughs) Am I
2: supposed to have the answer to
0: that? It's okay. If you don't, we can, we can work on this together. (laughs)
2: <laughs> man, I, I, you know, if I had the answers to those questions, I, I think I'd be rich already. <laughs> you know, all I can say is really doing things from the heart, you know, doing things out of passion and and not just because you're trying to make money or, or build a big brand. I think a lot of the things we've done have just been from me being super honest and transparent and, you know, following my passion, following my purpose. And I think that's kind of what the really key pillar is to creating a brand that lasts and to really standing out when you as a founder kind of put your whole heart in it and let people see that. But other than that, man, I think once you do that, you just got to ride with it after that.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's just nonstop after that. But I think that's absolutely right. I think brands that come from a place of authenticity and they in their founder story in their creation story tend to resonate tenfold with consumers. So Jamika, you didn't necessarily set out to launch a skincare brand, but after years of dealing with difficult skin. So again, that authenticity, you decided to create your own formulas. So tell us how did solving a personal problem end up growing into what is now Rosen skincare?
1: Yeah, definitely kind of a long path. I think, you know, at the time when I kind of had the idea for Rosen, it was, you know, around that time with, Feeling with super difficult skin, I, you know, kind of full circle moment, but ended up going into Target and was like, you know, there's just no options here. It's kind of the same thing. I had been shopping since sixth grade and I was in college at that point. And that kind of lent itself to, you know, like I was doing a lot of very early work with formulation. You know, I think obviously I, I've learned so much around formulas and what that means for us. That was the point where I was like, this makes sense as a business and it makes sense um, as something that's needed in the market. And I think super early on, I was like, let's just do this. And let's just like, you know, have fun with it and see where we can take it. And then fortunately, when I was studying an undergrad, we got an entrepreneurship minor at UCLA. And then I did start up UCLA summer accelerator program, which just taught me a lot about the bones of creating a scalable business. And because of that, I really kind of started to think of like, yeah, what does this look like? What does it look like to get on shelves like Target and, and to expand and to think about acquisition as opposed to kind of this thing I was just doing for farmers markets. And so it was just really a lot of resources and, and help and mentorship to really, I think, challenge myself and get myself out of that idea of just creating products for myself and really thinking about bringing it out in the market and it's been a fun journey and definitely a million ups and downs and and a ton of things you learn along the way. But that was probably like the initial steps of what it looked like to go from kind of this thing I was doing on my own or my dorm room to like, what does it really look like to scale this?
0: Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's such an incredible story. And also knowing that skincare is such a crowded marketplace. So were you intimidated by that when you were first launching it or how did you feel like you were going to break through that noise?
1: Yeah. For me, the biggest thing was just being a consumer. I was a very deep consumer within the acne space. I had uh, stopped acne care since I was in sixth grade. I tried a lot of the treatments, and so as somebody who was just so familiar with what the market had, it just felt super clear to me that there was nothing really else on the market. And even as I would try to find cleaner formulas, or as I would try to find brands that made sense for me, um, or you know things that worked for my skin, there just like always seemed to be this intersection of like there's nobody meeting all the needs that I have. And so for me, it just felt very obvious that there was a big lack within the space. And then I think fortunately, obviously we've seen acne and the acne space become a lot more trending, a lot more popular to kind of normalize breakouts and, and have these conversations. For me, it was just really being a consumer and and realizing that you know, if I deal with this issue, there's probably a significant portion of individuals who deal with it as well. Um, And really just trusting that and trusting that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm I'm still not seeing what I need in the market And, you know, being able to build that base from there. And then now we're obviously at a place where we can be competitive with with folks who enter into the space.
0: Yeah. Finding that hole in the market is so important. But also for you guys, in addition to running your own businesses, you both also serve on the Target Accelerators Entrepreneurship Advisory Council. So can you tell us about this program, your roles, why it's so important for you to be involved in this and why you're excited about it? Ashley, I'll let you go first.
2: I mean, I think honestly, the biggest reason why I'm excited is just, it feels like we have a seat at the table. Um, And, you know, that's kind of a, a trendy thing that people have been saying, right? But it really means something when you actually feel like your voice can be heard. And so I feel like being on that advisory council just allows us to have a say in things that we typically or traditionally wouldn't have a say in. And I just think that's huge. I mean, you know, people are asking us questions about how to spend money, how to spend Target's money. And I just think that's crazy, right? It it really feels surreal, but it's just a a huge opportunity for us. Amazing. And
0: Jamika, what about you?
1: I agree. I have kind of been, you know, continuously seeing Target's prices as, as a corporate partner for, I did their accelerator in 2018 and it just has felt very authentic and genuine in a lot of the ways that I've been brought in as a founder throughout my journey um and not like you know huge pr pushes or, or things like that and of course you know there there's benefit everywhere around for us to be brought in to help them and you know um for us to be included in this and so i just think it's incredibly important again to you know Have a seat at the table and really make those changes behind the scenes. I think one of the biggest things that I saw as a result of everything that happened last year was just a lot of kind of band aid fixes, a lot of people kind of looking to say, you know, how can we do a program for Black people or how can we, you know, get, you know, maybe 15% pledge or whatever that looks like, but not doing that core work of what it looks like behind the scenes. How are you building a pipeline? How are you truly making changes um, and, and bringing people in on the decisions around the individuals you're serving? And so just to see. Target really do that and and bring that to the table has been amazing and it's been awesome to be a part of.
0: Before we continue the conversation, I wanna take a moment to talk about Target Accelerators and their new program, Target Forward Founders. Target Forward Founders is a virtual eight week program for early stage entrepreneurs looking to better understand retail. Created in partnership with founders and key ecosystem leaders, such as the Target Accelerators Entrepreneurship Council to address the needs of historically under-resourced founders. The program will include access to industry disrupting founders, target team members, and subject matter experts via workshops, fireside chats, office hours, and so much more. The program will also introduce founders to topics that are important in retail, such as industry overviews, logistics, manufacturing, financial viability, and more. If you're a work party listener looking to gain deeper insight into the retail landscape, then I encourage you to apply. Applications are open until May 12th, 2021 at 1159 p.m. CST. You can find more information and apply directly at targetaccelerators.com. That's www.targetaccelerators.com. Definitely go check it out. And now back to the episode. Research has shown that early mentorship can have a major impact on a small business's revenue and growth. And mentorship is a major focus of the Target Accelerator program. We've been teaming up with Target to host different mentor sessions. So I'd love to know, how have mentorship and networking opportunities contributed to your success? And what advice can you share for small business owners who are maybe seeking mentorship? Um, Jamika, I'll help you answer that.
1: For me, mentorship has been everything. Um, and And I tell people that all the time. It's not just kind of like, whoever you're meeting at the time, but you know, there's so many opportunities that I've had that have, are like three or four people removed from whoever that original person was. I'm always incredibly inspired and in all of the, the work that people are willing to do to just help me and help Rosen, it's been incredibly crucial getting into the target accelerator program was a director's role of, of somebody that I had met and who had become a mentor and, you know, building those connections to obviously where I am now. And like having that pipeline of, being in stores. Like, I don't know how I would have met a buyer had it not been for that program, had it not been for that mentor. So I think it's incredibly important to not only have mentorship, but also to have, you know, that component of network, thinking about the cohort of individuals that you get to connect with and, and really learning from other people who are in a similar space to you of, like, what are you doing about these, you know, manufacturing delays, or you know, with COVID, or, or how are you kind of handling marketing or, or all this stuff? I think it's always incredibly insightful to see what other folks are doing in just such a core portion of of growth.
0: I think definitely navigating last year, I think everyone was emailing or slacking <laughs> or whatever, like help, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ashley, what about you? What role has mentorship played um, with your company?
2: I think Jamaica hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it's everything building a community. I think even bigger than mentorship is that networking piece. Like she said, I think things can stem from that, but you've got to build that community. I always joke that I'm an introverted extrovert. I'd rather just like sit home on the couch and not talk to anybody. That's kind of how I approach things in the beginning. And my husband's like, look, we got to get out and talk to people. And I started, you know, going to have coffee with other entrepreneurs, some with companies way bigger than mine, some with um, businesses much smaller. And, I was blown away at the type of information that was shared with me. I learned something from every single 15 minute meeting, two hour meeting. I mean, I learned something from every single sit down I had, and I was introduced to so many people and to Jamaica's point. I mean, we could just talk about supply chain issues, like, you know, simple things. How are you shipping your heavy candle? Because I have heavy jams, like, you know, little things like that. Just that community is invaluable.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about some of those good problems, I guess we should call it. But the BLM movement has resulted in a huge surge in sales for Black-owned businesses, which is long overdue. But rapid growth comes with challenges, from navigating increased customer service requests to stocking inventory on the back end, supply chain, to your point. How have you guys handled this spike in sales? And how can other small businesses better prepare for scaling quickly and sustainably? Um, Jamika, you can go first.
1: I mean, it was a huge challenge to what we had built. So at the time, um, like last June, we did everything in-house and I had plans to kind of continue to keep it in-house, very inspired by like the folks at Smith's Naturals and thinking about, um, okay, I'll just build out a team and we'll we'll build this out. Um, But I think because it happened so fast, we're like, ah, I don't wanna do this in-house anymore. But for us, it was just, really understanding how to forecast better and getting to a point where we now need to sell more inventory. We need to be more prepared. Um, At that time, we would order pretty much on a weekly basis and we would kind of be ordering three to four weeks out. So solid, no delays. This stuff will get here in like two to three weeks. We'll make it, we'll have it stocked. And because we did everything in house, the day the product got labeled, it was good to ship out. And so for us, We experienced a surge in sales, of course. So we were busier than ever, but we had longer lead times than ever because packaging was out of stock, ingredients were out of stock, like everything was out of stock across the board with super long lead times. And so for us, it really just forced me to think okay, I can't just be forecasting for the next four weeks. I need to know what the next three to six months look like. I need to have a plan on ordering and I need to be sitting on a few months of stock at any given time. And of course, as we move with external partners, like people who pack our orders or or the people who make our products now, those lead times change a little bit because now it's no longer the day the product gets labeled, it's ready to ship out. There's still a gap there. And so- understanding those gaps and understanding how to um, account for those and over account for them, because it's never exactly as uh, seamless as it seems to be, has been kind of the biggest thing that we learned on the supply chain side, as far as just dealing with it. And I mean, customer service, fortunately for us, um, and I think for a lot of folks, if being transparent and very clear with like, Hey, like, this is what's going on. Like, you know, we're, we've got to order, we're waiting on chart, try- like just keeping people in the loop and, and trying our best to accommodate them. Um, we saw a lot of people think would be extremely gracious with us, um, with those shipping periods last year, but yeah, supply chain has changed a ton, um, from this time last year to, to now and just how we're thinking about things and how we're planning.
0: Yeah. And Ashley, what has been your biggest challenge during this period and what did you learn from it?
2: I mean, supply chain, it's, it's been a huge challenge. What I learned really was just preparing in advance is the most helpful. I think that's something that's helped me, you know, all five years of the business, everything I've done, it's been something that I've prepared for in advance, right? Like when I was making jam in my kitchen, I was figuring out how I could move to a shared kitchen. And then when I was making jam in a shared space, I was figuring out how I could get a co-packer or a manufacturer. So I've always been kind of trying to think of the next step ahead. And, you know, that was the case for my supply chain as well. I've, I've always been preparing for big growth just because that's what I was trying to manifest for my business. And so, you know, I had a really well-oiled machine at the time before, right before all of this hit. So when it hit, it was really just doing it better, right? Doing it faster we had really everything in place. So I think it was just about, like I said, just trying to, to make it better and obviously try to find the money. I mean, the sales are coming in, but it's like, okay, the sales are coming in. Now I got to put the money right back out and make more inventory. Um, to Jamaica's point, have more and more products. So that was probably the biggest challenge. But my advice is definitely just to try to prepare in advance, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. As much as you can. I mean, I think 2020 took everyone by storm. We're like, What is happening from the COVID It was like all like best (laughs) laid plans were out the window, but it sounds like now everything's a little bit more back on track. So black women were amongst the fastest growing entrepreneurs before COVID hit, as we had mentioned, yet they only receive a fraction of venture capital, less than 1%. So how can we turn this statistic around and ensure that the small business community is being represented of society as a whole when it comes to the venture and funding landscape?
1: Jamika? Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of goes back to that, having the infrastructure, having the seat at the table, are there, you know, it's easy to pass up black owned brands or or textured hair care brands. If nobody who has a seat at the table has ever dealt with textured hair, nobody even understands the market. You need to have those people in places to make decisions and, and have that ability to really inform different areas within the market. I think we've seen, you know, obviously there's no shortage of black women owned businesses. There's no shortage of black owned businesses or any minority owned business. And there's no shortage of them making great businesses and bootstrapping their way into amazing circumstances. Um, but what there's a shortage of is obviously funding and, and people who are willing to invest because they don't understand. And I think there's a million systemic things that go into it, but I think just at the core is If you don't understand a business, why would you invest in it? And if you don't have people who understand certain founders or certain businesses or what the circumstances are, you're just going to continuously overlook those situations. Not because you're going out, you know, out of your way to be biased or, or, you know, hate on all these other people, but you just simply don't have the resources and everything built in to really support the people that you say you want to support. Mm
0: -hmm. And Ashley, what about you?
1: No, I agree with all that. And um, I think just
2: sharing resources and sharing knowledge is, is key. I think there's a lot of things that small-owned, Black-owned businesses just don't know, right? And so, you know, there's all these grants, right? All this free money. And there's so many grants that I didn't even know about or I hadn't even heard of um, and that other people shared with me. And, you know, we've gotten so much free money. And so it's just really important to just share the the wealth, right? And like the, the actual wealth, but the knowledge, just- you know, teaching and that whole networking thing. Um, Because I think some of it stems down to just people not knowing, us not knowing, small businesses not knowing. And so the more we can share that knowledge, I,
1: I think that's huge too. Just to touch on that point too, I think that's extremely relevant of different folks not knowing, but also just speaking different languages. I think there's just different things that we understand it's like running a business or or, or starting a business, especially if you're bootstrapped, I I always kind of like think back to even the journey of retail and, and what that looks like. There's different measures of success for me. When I started out before and afters or customer selfies or all these things were what generated sales and I needed sales to grow versus when you think about things, retail, or even sometimes with fundraising, how much press do you have? You know, what does your photography look like? What does your packaging look like? Not that those aren't valuable things, but it's a lot in the optics of like, what is this brand building? What's the vision? And whereas like a lot of times in the bootstrap, you're like, I'm just trying to make sales. Like I'm just trying to reach people and make money. And you're not so, um, in with you know the the nice photography and, and the PR write-ups and and what the brand is and what your mission is to disrupt the entire industry you might, you have like an equaling of what that means to you but it's just like speaking different languages so I think that portion of what you know Ashley said around just like the resources and really understanding what it means and what these people are looking for and making sure, you, you know, kind of meeting each other at the same level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting. The, the press side of things, cause I bootstrap create and cultivate until recently, I don't know, seven years of it. And getting press is so challenging. I did not, I was like, I don't understand. Like we're doing well. We have these good stories to tell. We're doing all the things that are like, we're doing it right. You know? And press was like, unless you're raising $20 million, like we don't care. And we're like, but like, we don't need to, because we're doing it right. And it was like, it's like the same story over and over again. And it's a real big problem with media, which is one of the reasons why, you know, I started creating Cultivate was like these other women's stories, the bootstraps, the success stories, like they need to be told. I mean, Schmitz is a, is a really good example. Jamika, is like you were saying, it's like an incredible story, but you know, I think it's important to be telling these stories too. And, and be again, knowledge sharing in that world, you don't know what you don't know until you're in the room and then you're like, "Oh, this is how it gets done." And you know that's kind of how you start to find out. But you know although there's been some progress that's been made, black women owned small businesses are still underrepresented on the shelves at major retailers as an entrepreneur whose products are available at Target, which obviously that's like, you know, a huge moment for any entrepreneur who has a product. How can other female founders follow in your footsteps? And what advice can you share for getting a foot in the door with a big name retailer like target?
1: Oh, Jamaica hit it. I mean, the biggest thing one is, I mean, we touched on this idea of mentorship and network. I think while June was amazing for growth, you know, not amazing for a lot of other reasons. I did have a lot of retailers pretty much, you know, hitting us up for Rosen to be carried in their stores, because of, you know, wanting to uh, have more black owned businesses, that's obviously not a sustainable approach to bank on, you know, getting these buyers emails. And so for me, I think if you can get network and and mentorship um, and connections, and I think obviously it's target accelerators, there's support. so there's a lot of really great programs that retailers are doing, particularly, um, you know, like I mentioned, target building this pipeline to get in the door or to find out how do I get connections with these people? I do not know how I would have gotten really a meaningful connection with a buyer had it not been for this program. So if you can get a warm intro, that's always best. But, you know, also just thinking about how can you um, grow your brand and make it meaningful so that when you do talk to these retailers, it's substantial and um, it makes sense. And they know that you're going to perform well there. I think the biggest thing that a lot of people expect for retail is that you're going to get in and you're going to move or you're going to boom and really, retailers are pretty much looking at like, yes, how do you align with like all of our customers that are coming through the door already? How can you catch them? But who are you sending to shop with us? Like, how are you going to bring your customers to shop with us, whether it's online or whether it's in store. And so being able to touch on like, Hey, look, this is how we're marketing now. This is how we do in sales right now. And saying like, imagine if I just drove that to target, you know, imagine if we, we did that. And then also understanding broadly, what's going on in this space with retail and, and shopping and, and trends. What are they focused on? What do you see? What kind of brands is, is target picking up? You know, what kind of stories are they telling on their shelves? Getting an insight into understanding like, okay, they're investing in these areas. So how can I align with that? I think is incredibly important. And of course, there's all the logistics that you can worry about after you, you get that yes from target, but I think really just aligning on, um, what they have going on in their stores, where they're investing, aligning on how you're going to drive customers there and, and how you've been able to drive customers yourself. And then, you know, of course, if if you can get a connection to a buyer, would be best. If not, I mean, Urban and and some other folks that I have talked to before, um, which just got their emails off LinkedIn. So that's that always an option.
0: Before we continue the conversation, I want to take a moment to talk about Target Accelerators. And their new program, Target Forward Founders. Target Forward Founders is a virtual eight week program for early stage entrepreneurs looking to better understand retail. Created in partnership with founders and key ecosystem leaders, such as the Target Accelerators Entrepreneurship Council, to address the needs of historically under resourced founders. The program will include access to industry disrupting founders target team members and subject matter experts via workshops, fireside chats, office hours, and so much more. The program will also introduce founders to topics that are important in retail such as industry overviews, logistics, manufacturing, financial viability, and more. If you're a work party listener looking to gain deeper insight into the retail landscape, then I encourage you to apply. Applications are open until May 12, 2021 at 11:59 p.m. CST. You can find more information and apply directly at targetaccelerators.com. That's www.targetaccelerators.com. Definitely go check it out. And now back to the episode. So let's talk a little bit about raising money. So, are you, Ashley, are you completely bootstrapped? Have you raised money? What's your plan for funding in the long term?
2: Fully bootstrapped, have not raised money. Definitely want to try to raise some capital in the future. It's, it's a pain already i've started the process just to, like skim the surface and i'm already annoyed about it um uh-huh. but, but uh yeah that's definitely something that's going to have to happen in the future but you know we've made it five strong years by, uh, bootstrapping and, uh, very fortunate to have done that. So,
0: well, that's very exciting and probably going to be annoying, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, let us know how, you know, obviously I crane cultivate how we can support. I also angel invest. So this is a great conversation for me to be part of and Jamaica, what about you?
1: Yeah. Still bootstrap. Haven't raised any capital, but pretty soon kind of like going into that. I mean, for the longest time I kind of put it off just because it is such a daunting process. And to everybody's point, every time I ask about it, it's like, yeah, it's it's horrible. And so I've just continued to put it off. Um, but you know, getting to the place now where I am just thinking about, you know, speed and thinking about growth and thinking about the category that, and everything that's going on within acne care and, and how I want to go grow quickly to really be a leader in that space. And so that's kind of, you know, leaning on raising here pretty soon. Um, and, thinking about that, you know, going bootstrap for so long to raising feels weird. Um, and I'm sure obviously seven years you can attest to that. So I'm just kind of like wrapping my head around it right now.
0: It's a long, intense process, but here to talk about it anytime we could do a separate zoom, but I want to just cover and sort of wrap up on this topic and move on to more advice, you know, with entrepreneurship on the rise right now with applications booming at the fastest rate since 2007, people applying for businesses. What's your number one piece of advice for new entrepreneurs starting a business today? How can they achieve the same success that you guys have, Ashley?
2: Gosh, I don't know. Be in it for the long game. (laughs) That sounds so like, you know, I know how that sounds. But I think when I started this, I assumed I would be, you know, rolling in the dough by now. And it's just, that's not the case at all. So I think just be prepared for the long game. Uh, like I said before, make sure that your heart's in it, um, and that you're really enjoying it because gosh, there's going to be so many tough days where you just like, don't want to do this anymore, where you want to give up. And I just think when this is fun and it's something that you love, that's really what's going to keep you going, especially on those days when you have to do stuff that you don't want to do. Right. Like I hate financials. I hate reading. Like I hate looking at Oh my God, all of it, everything. And I just want to do like the creativity and like the creative stuff and, uh, make jam flavors all day. But, um, you got to really make sure your heart's in it so that when you do have to do the stuff that you may not love, yeah, that you're really feeling it and be persistent. You're going to get so many no's. Um, I eat no's for breakfast and you just have to like, you know, you have to be ready to get no's. Um, you're going to hear so many and you just got to be like, whatever, keep it moving.
0: Yeah. Uh, such good advice. And Jamaica, what about you?
1: I'm going to say two things. One, just thinking about like somebody starting out a business, really be sure of the differentiation that you offer in the gap in the market. Um, I think that there's a lot of industries where you can totally just like get in. Um, I think obviously we see a rise of a ton of celebrities doing kind of like skincare stuff like that. Really be clear that, you know, you're not just I'm a very kind of big proponent on it's not just great product. I think that, you know, you can have a super solid product, but if there's not clear differentiation, it can be hard to kind of feel your path there unless you have a ton of money behind you. Um, so really making sure your, your point of differentiation is clear and it makes sense. And then I think as you get started, I say this all the time. It's like always oh, my piece of advice, but it's just focus. Um, there are a million things that you can do. You can do all the social media platforms. You can do like all the, there's just so many areas where you can focus on and you're just gonna spread yourself thin and, and you can, you're can you gonna be, I always say like decent at a bunch of things or just figure out your niche and just be really good at one thing and figure out where you wanna grow and, and where you wanna focus and, and kind of go from there. Because so I think it's easy to get overwhelmed by the million different ways you can grow a business. um, And so just focusing down. Yeah, just to tag team on that. I love what she said about the differentiation because,
2: you know, I I always joke, like, right? People try the jam and they're like, this is so good. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, of course it's good. Like, do you think we made it this long without a good product? Like, has nothing to do with that, right? Um, And so I love what she said because like that having a good product is literally just the beginning. It's everything else that comes after. And so that differentiation piece is, is, literally it's everything.
0: So true. And so Ashley, for you, what do you think for small business owners right now, where do you think they should be focusing their financial energy?
2: Man, focusing their financial energy. I mean, you know, trying to probably build up some inventory, make sure you're ready for anything like this that may come again in the future. Um, I think like Jamika was saying, inventory is a big piece of it, saving money, getting free money, like I said before too there's just so many grants and we've literally literally gotten like I don't know seven grants in the past like i don't know 6 months maybe um i have Amazing. a yeah i have an employee that part of what she does is just finds us grants like she has to apply for like 10 grants a week And then if we get it, you know, she gets a portion of it. So, you know, she's invested in it and it helps us. Yeah, actually, that's my answer. (laughs) Definitely invest in that free money.
0: That's so smart. Genius. Yeah. Great advice. And also we have a a conference coming up. It's called Money Moves and we do have a pitch contest and it's a $10,000 grant. So get it on her radar, I also want to talk about team building and attracting top tier talent. So obviously as founders, you know, you can only do so much as we sort of talked about, like, what do you guys look for employees and what is that process like? Um, Jamika? you could start.
1: I'm continuously learning how to, you know, move into the space of like more advanced advanced talent. When I first hired people, I would just be like, um, i mean, my first hire who kind of like handles a lot of operations now. And I got very lucky with her, but I was like, hey, like, I need you to pack orders for a couple hours a day. And she's like, cool. I'll just like do it from home. And she like, just had a kid. And so I would just like post stuff on my Instagram, like, Hey, need somebody to you know do this. And they were all kind of roles where for me that early growth was like, I oversaw everything. And it was kind of like, okay, these are the systems that I built just take that over. Um, whereas now moving into the space of like, you know, I, I have a realm of expertise, but there's a lot of areas that I don't know, operations, finance, all these areas. And so now really looking at obviously what their experience is, knowing our experience, I think is a piece of it, trusting everything that we've built and trusting a lot of the areas that we know there's definitely been times where we've gotten into partnerships with on the operations side where it's like, Oh, I, I guess we knew more than we thought we did because they're definitely not doing this as well as we did. And so trusting that portion of it, but for me really, you know, back to this like network, but that, that's the biggest way for me to meet in, uh, qualified individuals who, who can make sense on the team, really being clear. I'm working on being clearer with just like the the flow and the structure that I enjoy in a business and then how I enjoy like interacting with folks and uh, whether that be, you know, like how often we're checking in and, and just having like a more autonomous workflow and, and really trying to be clear with what their role is and looks like from the beginning what areas of the business they own and, and where they kind of like make decisions, where they bring other people in. That's kind of stuff that I'm just like all consistently working on to try to build a more powerhouse of a team. For me, I've always kind of like incrementally hired because we were bootstrapped of like, you know, I can have you for this hours a week. And then like, once we make more, you can come on. Um, now I'm kind of in a space where I can, you know, make a full hire at a time. We don't hire like super frequently, but that, you know into that piece of, if we do fundraise, obviously that opens up the opportunity to kind of really stack out a team, um, and really think about like, what not only we need now, but what do we need for the next three to five years for people? But yeah, that's kind of how I've been thinking about it now, a little, a little scrappy still. So trying to shift that mindset.
0: Totally. And Ashley, what about you?
2: Yeah, man, ask me again once I fundraise and I have some money to like really really hire. But, you know, we've we've hired a ton of interns which has been so helpful, but I think just finding people that really like vibe with me, believe in the mission, it, you know, we've actually found a ton of people that follow me on Instagram who have ended up working for the business, but it works so great because it's people that have followed us for years and who've just been like, you know, oh, I already know about this. I already, you know, it's like they vibe with me. It, it, it's funny cuz I joke with I have have like Instagram friends now, right? Like people that I like DM with through Instagram who I like know. And that's what I feel like, you know, it's the people that I've met through that community um, who've ended up working for us and, and really worked out for us. And then to Jamaica's point, once they get onboarded, really just being like clear and concise about what you're doing, it can be so challenging for a startup because you don't always have your shit together, right? Like you just don't. And so sometimes it's really hard to, get somebody else on board, um, and make them feel like, you know, you know what you're doing when you don't always. And so I think for me being super attentive to detail and very like clear and, um, just communicating really well has been really helpful. Um, and being transparent too. Like, you know, sometimes it's okay to say like, you know what? That's a great question. Like, I don't know. Like we haven't built that out yet. This is the first time we're hiring this role or, you know, here's how we've done in the past, but moving forward, like I'm happy to change it. So like, let's do it together. I love that collaborative environment where I tell my staff, like, I'm like, I don't know the answer to that, but let's figure it out together. I think it empowers them too. So
0: yeah, I love that. And I, I think that's so important because I do think that sometimes there can be this feeling of looking at huge companies and thinking like that's what they're coming into. And it's like, no matter how many times you're like, it's bootstrapped or figuring it out, like they don't like seeing it and doing it are two totally different things. So totally feel you on all of that. So let's wrap with some rapid fire sentence finishers. Jamika, to be successful as an entrepreneur, you need to be?
1: Willing to pivot and learn. Mm,
0: absolutely. Ashley, the number one money or business book I always recommend is, it could be a podcast too.
1: How I Built This podcast.
0: So good. It's the best. Jameika, my go-to interview question for prospective hires is?
1: How comfortable they are with making decisions, really.
0: Totally. Being autonomous is is huge. Ashley, scaling a small business requires? Passion. Absolutely. And this is for both of you. The most rewarding part of being a small business owner is? Jameika, you can go first
1: individuals who who care about your brand it's just the millions of or not millions i don't have millions of customers but the manifest the thousands. it put it out <laughs> there <laughs> so the thousands of individuals that are you know when you see it broken down into they all individually care about you and your brand is is just incredible
2: and ashley man for me it's writing my own schedule family's so important to me i just had a baby and uh, you know being able to just kind of call the shots and uh, spend time with her as I need and not having to ask permission, I mean, I would never trade that in for the world.
0: Oh yeah. Congratulations on that. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, so Ashley, can you tell everyone where they can find more about you and your company online?
2: Yeah, definitely check us out tradestreetjamco.com, tradestjamco.com. Uh, and that's also our Instagram handle at Trade Street jam Co. We've got tons of really fun recipes, cocktail stuff, cooking, baking. Grab some jam, man. It'll change your life.
1: <laughs> Love it. And Jamika. Yeah, I mean, we're at Rose and Skincare on everything. Uh, all socials and website can find us um, in select targets. We're not in every target, but we do have a store locator on our site. And my personal Instagram is at Rose, so Jamika Rose. So J-A-M-I-K-A-Rose. And there's an underscore after it always trying to post some info or resources as much as I can and always down to answer any questions people have to.
0: Awesome. Well, this was an amazing conversation, ladies. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. For more inspiring conversations like this one, subscribe to Work Party on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at WorkParty on Instagram and at It's a WorkParty on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is WorkParty.